Welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. I want to speak to you about something that's on my heart, not just for our church, but for the nations. I think this is a real word from God. And I want you to have your hearts open today to what God would do. I want to speak to you today about the spirit and power of Elijah. Luke chapter 1 verse 13. My prayer is today that you would capture the heart of God. A lot of Christians stay at a base level, focused on them, themselves, their problems, their will. But I believe that in this day that God is wanting to share his heart for the nations. What he, what's, what, I was going to say what keeps him awake at night. What burdens his heart, what his plans are, what his agenda is. And uh, that, that's what we're going to pick up today as we read. Luke 1.13 But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will give him the name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while he is yet in his mother's womb. So this man, when he was born, there was something very significant about his life when he came. No other man had been filled with the Spirit in his mother's womb, so he was set apart to bring a significant shift to the earth like we are today and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to their God for he will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so to make ready a people that are prepared for the Lord the forerunning spirit is here today. It's a spirit that God releases across the earth that prepares people for the coming of Jesus. This forerunning spirit is encapsulated in what we call the mantle of the spirit and power of Elijah. And so when we talk about a forerunning spirit, it is one and the same as talking about the spirit and the power of Elijah. The spirit and power of Elijah gives us an indication of what the forerunning spirit looks like, what the anointing on a forerunner spirit is. And God is wanting to raise up forerunners in this church. God is wanting to raise up forerunning churches that see things different, that, are, that have an understanding that their job, their role, is to prepare God's people for the coming of the Lord. To say that we need to prepare God's people is to allude that God's people aren't prepared. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that right across the church, most of the church are unprepared for what God wants to do. And so he raises up forerunners not to be elite, not to be, not to be those that would... Uh, 
look down on others, but he sends forerunners who would go on, go before, and begin to sound an alarm and say, God's people, get ready because Jesus is returning. God has a plan for the earth and he wants his people to be ready. I read to you from Luke 11, 5, about a parable that, that has gripped my heart over the last month or so. And I want to read it again. And when I repeat myself, it's not because I've got nothing better to say, but often I will repeat myself because God is wanting to instill a message into our hearts that burns deep. And for me, the way I learn, the way God solidifies things is he keeps saying it over and over and over again. So in this message, some of the things you'll hear again, many of the things will be fresh. But in Luke eleven five, Jesus says there's a, there is a friend. So it says, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight. Midnight is, again, a picture of the very last days, right before the change of a day. Right before, it's a picture of right before Jesus returning. And this friend goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come from a journey and I've got nothing to set before him. This is a picture Jesus is saying in the last days that the Holy Spirit will come to the church and say to the church that Jesus is wanting something from us. Are you hearing me? You're saying there's a friend coming from a far away. This is Jesus coming. And the Holy Spirit's coming to the church and saying, there is something that you have that he wants. Are you getting this? There's something from you that the Holy Spirit is calling to you and saying, there's something inside you that I want you to give to Jesus. And we're focused often on what Jesus has for us. But the Holy Spirit's coming now and saying, there's something inside of you that I want to give to him as a reward. So it, it says, and from inside the man answers. This is talking about what is in the heart of the church today. And he says, do not bother me, for the door is shut, and my children and I are in bed, and I cannot get up, and I cannot give you anything. It's a sad reflection on the hearts of some people that they're saying to the Holy Spirit, I cannot get up. I don't want to give you anything. My children are in bed with me. Children are a picture of our, of our understanding of our future. My children are that which I invest in for the future. I've got my life worked out. I've got a mortgage. I've got plans for my life. And you're not part of my plan. Thank you that you saved me. But I've got a life to live and it's not about serving you and your purpose. It's about my purpose. And I'm not getting out of bed. Oh, we'd never say that. Church, often we say that. Not by the words that come out of our mouth, but by the actions, by the things that come out of our heart. And Holy Spirit is knocking, saying, you've got something that I want. And I've got a friend coming from afar, and I am going to feed him. And it says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, He will get up and he will give him as much as he needs. I think that's astounding. He's saying, even though you don't want to get up, even though you don't want to surrender all that you have, Holy Spirit is persistent. 
Have you noticed that? He says, I keep on knocking and I will get in. And he's persistent. And so he'll keep working on your heart. He'll keep maneuvering circumstances. And you say, why is this all going on around me? Why is my life like this? Because he is knocking at the door of your heart and he will do whatever it takes to get you ready to give what Jesus needs. Three loaves of bread. We've talked about it over and over. It's, it's from children to sons to fatherhood. It's the maturity of the believer that we could come to a place that we co-rule with him. Where we get to the place where his agenda and his heart for this city becomes the primary motivation of our heart. Where we go from asking, which is salvation, to seeking, which is personal transformation, to knocking, where we begin to wrestle over the, over the course and, and the very uh, fabric of our city, where this city becomes a passion of our heart, that we would see his kingdom over every dimension. Yeah. And the culture of this city moves our heart. And we get disturbed when we see kingdom values not held up high. This is the heart of Jesus. And he's coming back for a bribe that are fiercely loyal towards him, where his heart becomes more important than our heart and our agenda and our children in our bed. And we'll get out of bed and become uncomfortable and we'll go and open the door up and say, come in, take what you need to look after your friend. What I have is yours. Are you getting this? The spirit and the power of Elijah. So the Holy Spirit has an agenda to get the church ready. And so forerunners come forearmed for knowing that God is at work. It may not look like it. It may not smell like it. But we know that the Holy Spirit is actively at work. And he sends out forerunners ahead of the people to get the people ready for the coming of the Lord. It burns in our hearts. Forerunners are needed today. And so when people, when the church in general expends its energy on, re- on maintaining what they want out of church and what they want out of a Christian life, and they may remain unconcerned with what he wants, then it's obvious that forerunners are needed. Did you hear that? When the church becomes unconcerned with what he wants and are focused on what they want out of church, what's convenient to them, then forerunners are needed to poke and prod and sound alarm and say, church, get ready. Jesus is returning. His heart is for the nations and he wants his church ready for him, a bride equal in stature to him. I said last week that the rapture won't be so much us going from here to there, but it will be, we will become so much like him that it will just be one little step and we will be with him. Yeah. It won't be a chasm between us and him, a bride equal in proportion to the sun. Yeah. Right. So he says, get ready. What are forerunners? The forerunners are birthed in times of corporate unbelief. And double-mindedness. You say, really? Yes, really. When John was born, his father was filled with unbelief. In fact, 
the angel Gabriel had to silence his father right through the term of John's uh, conception and, and up to delivery to, to save John from being aborted. He was birthed in a time of absolute unbelief. 400 years of silence. So forerunners are raised in a culture within the church body that is largely unbelieving. It looks like a church, but it's largely unbelieving. It's lost its faith reach to believe that the mountains of society could be ruled and reigned by him. It's lost its belief that Jesus is returning. So forerunners are birthed in an environment where there is little faith, because Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? Why? Because it'll come up against a culture of unbelief. And we constantly are pressing against a tide, a culture of unbelief. That's why people can be full of life and vitality until they walk in the church doors and they become possessed by another spirit of unbelief. That's why we actively wage against it. And you can do that today by saying amen. Amen. Forerunners are birthed in a time of corporate unbelief. So they need to be strong. Why do you think John was in the wilderness, clothed in camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey? Because God was preparing him to come up against a spirit of unbelief that would sap people's energy. But today God believes in you. He has put a forerunning spirit upon you that is more than equal to the unbelief around the world. Forerunners are called to run ahead of the body of Christ and prepare the way of the Lord. They are called to run ahead. That means they're not crowd pleasers. It's not mean they're not they're not measuring their Christianity by everybody else. Well, they get away with it. They do this, they do that, they compromise and get away with it. They don't pay their bills on time. They do this, they do that. Forerunners are sent to run ahead and prepare the way of the Lord. They're not measuring their intensity towards the Lord compared to everybody else. They're forerunners. They are leading the way and saying to the church, come on, this is where we're supposed to go. Forerunners are called to pioneer new expressions of God's heart and mind. Did you hear that? That's a calling on the life to, to, to d- demonstrate the mind and the heart of God. So they are, they are sounding the alarm. They are speaking a message that the church doesn't get. I wrote about in my book, The Gospel According to Noah. I was praying in my room uh, one day and I was saying, God, this, this is crazy what you're showing me about the nations and about the seven mountains and about how you want to you reclaim all that. That you're actually interested in TV and media and sports and education and business. You want to put your stamp on all that. And I said, you can't be, this can't be, I'm not hearing this from other people. And I talk to other people, I think I'm crazy. And it was at that night that my dog barked outside and I went outside and there was an owl sitting on the, on the fence. And I couldn't get rid of the owl. I sort of waved at it and it wouldn't go anywhere. So I picked up some stones and I threw it at the fence, and it wouldn't move. And eventually, it kept throwing bits at the owl, and it flew off. I just thought it was a pest. I hadn't 
connected the dots that this owl was an answer to my prayer half an hour ago. And as I walked back inside, the Lord said, I've given you the spirit of the owl. And the owl can see a hundred times more than a human in the night. It has night vision to see beyond. And that's what forerunners have. All of us, if we embrace the things of the Spirit, will have a forerunning spirit upon us. It's the mantle of Elijah to see beyond what others see. Not to be superior, but to be an alarm, to be to one that would say, this is the heart of Jesus for the church. And then others follow. So God is assigning us to be ready and to get others ready for this season. So that means you need to pray in a prophetic manner. Not in a pathetic manner, God help me. Not in a victim manner, but begin to pray prayers that come from the heart of the Father for this city. So instead of praying the missionary prayer, God bless the missionaries. God help me today. Get me through today. God bless me. And they're all prayers that we can pray. But we come to a new level where we begin to walk around our city. We pull the city into our hearts. We imagine in our mind the city and the boundaries. And we pull that in. And we begin to father and mother a city. And proclaim over it and decree over it the mind of the father for our city. That's what a forerunner is. Am I in a forerunning church? Good, good. So we pray prophetic prayers. We raise our children as prophetic children. We have an obligation to speak into their hearts and cause them to see the forerunning spirit and say, I know it's difficult. I know other kids don't think this way. I know even when you're around other Christians, they don't think this way. But don't worry about that. You are called to be a forerunner. I know what it's like, I say to my kids, to be a forerunner, to be at school for a whole year when nobody would talk to me. They would pass the stuff over my lockers. They would rip Bibles up. They would accuse me and taunt me. But you know what? That makes a man. And you come out the other side convinced of your calling. Forerunners hear the heart of God and they embrace it. Pray prophetic prayers. Raise your children. Serve the body in a prophetic manner. Live and think and breathe prophetically. So when you walk through the city, you begin to see it as God sees it. You begin to get your mind off your own little world and see the world that he has. It's the spirit and mantle, the power of Elijah. Forerunners have an anointing to anticipate. They anticipate what God is doing and they prepare God's people for it. So many people fight to maintain the current view of the church. Again, in my book, The Gospel Calling to Noah, I write about Zacchaeus, who is blocked by the crowd in seeing Jesus. They've gathered around him, and they are maintaining a view of what church looks like. And a lot of people hate it when their view of church and God and what it means to be a Christian is shaken. I don't like that. You're wrecking my family now. I've got a couple of members that are getting on fire for the Lord and you're messing up my family structure. We were always at home by 12 o'clock to have Sunday lunch and now your church is going 10 minutes over. My children are praying too much. So the crowd comes around and it maintains a 
a mindset. So Zacchaeus, he's a forerunner. He runs ahead and he finds a tree and he climbs a tree. That tree, if you have time to read about it in my book, is a picture of the cross. It's fascinating. And he climbs up the tree and he gets a new view. But he anticipated where Jesus was heading. For he knew in his heart that Jesus was going to leave the crowd and walk a certain way. And he would, he would come face to face with Zacchaeus. That's what forerunners do. They know where Jesus is heading. They leave the crowd with an assurance that Jesus is not staying there. He's moving on. And where I go, I will meet him. Yeah. That's what forerunners do. See, the crowd want to maintain the view of Jesus. Get people saved. Make them nice. Take out their cigarettes. Put a nice suit on them. Have a job. Keep quiet. Don't cause any harm. And go to heaven. That's the crowd around Jesus. Before I say, no, there is a radical view of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. And I know Jesus is heading that way. Forerunners carry the mantle, the spirit and power of Elijah. We read about this with John. He was a forerunner who came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Elijah is a strange man. You read about him in the book of Kings. Elijah the Tishbite. That's all we know about his beginnings. The word Tishbite, we think, means stranger. So you could interpret that Elijah the stranger who came from among the strangers. He's not from Jerusalem, the headquarters. He's not one of the in crowd. We don't know anything about his father or mother. He comes from a strange place. He doesn't attend the school of prophets. He's not appointed by kings. But he comes from some obscure background, the most unlikely background to do the most unlikely task. And I want to say to you today that many, many, many forerunners come from the most unlikely starts. Your life may have had a rocky start. You may have been caught in sin and pain and brokenness and bad decisions. You may be broke. You may be rich. It doesn't matter. God delights in taking people from the most unlikely places with the most unlikely giftings, with the most unlikely generational background, and he breathes on them and all of a sudden they appear. Oh, but I'm 65 now. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. The most unlikely people, the most unlikely places, and he places a mantle on them and say, I like what I see in you, and I'm going to use you as a mouthpiece to my people. Your background, your history makes nothing to God. He doesn't care about it. He's looking at the heart. He's looking for forerunners. He's looking for forerunners. He's looking for someone who'd say, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. I don't have much to give, but I've got a heart for you. I've got a heart that says, I, I want to do your will. I want what you want more than anything else in the world. That determines a forerunner. Not your education, not how well you read the Bible. Not your understanding of the Greek and Hebrew, as great as that is. It's this thing. What you want makes, it stirs my heart more than anything else. That's a forerunner. So why did God send John the Baptist? 
in the spirit of Elijah and not Jeremiah, not Daniel, not David, Samuel. Of all the other leaders, as I read through the scripture, their mantles disappeared. But only one, he threw his mantle back to the earth to live on. And John the Baptist comes in the mantle, the spirit and the power of Elijah. So God had placed something in Elijah that he wanted in John, but also in the church today. As I read again in the scripture, Elijah represents a season of visitation from God where he desires to restore his people. You think about it, God sends Elijah to Israel when it is steeped in unbelief and idolatry, where Israel is, is under the spell of Ahab and Jezebel and into that hopeless circumstance. God sends a man armed with a mantle from God to bring total restoration to a nation. Are you getting this? And as hopeless as our city may seem, things that stir my heart, values that we have lost. And we can look at that and we can, the unbelief can come upon us and we can say, it is way too hard. Nothing can change this. But the mantle comes upon Elijah and he begins to believe one man, one woman can restore a nation. Elijah versus 850 prophets. One man. And it tells me that no matter how bad things are, God believes restoration is possible. In your family, in your life, in your marriage, in your workplace, in the city. I'm the God of all flesh and most things aren't too hard for me. He says, there's nothing that is too hard for me. Forerunning spirit this spirit of Elijah is all about fullness and fulfillment. You may want to write that down. The spirit of Elijah is given to every generation so they can be prepared to fulfill something that has been accumulating from previous generations. Previous generations had a chance to fulfill their purpose and, and sadly most generations pass up that opportunity. So the spirit of Elijah is about fullness and fulfillment. There are some things unfulfilled that God wants to fill. So the spirit of Elijah comes upon God's people and it's about fullness, the completion of God's purpose. Let me tell you something, that Jesus will not come back until the purposes of God in the church for Jesus are fulfilled. It's called fullness. Prophecy, the prophetic mantle on the church, is to fulfill the heart of God. That's at its root. When prophecy is given over an individual, it is about fulfillment of God's plan for their life. The spirit of Elijah. So when we lead a generation, we must get God something specific in the season that we are assigned to. Did you hear that? To lead a generation, we must get God something that is specific to that season. 
So that means, God, what do you want for this city right now? What is on your heart? How do we grab a hold of that assignment and unlock it for this city? See, this is when we go from playing church to being a mighty army. This is where we go from going through religious motions to being activated to do something great. This is when we, our, our, our Christianity keeps us up at night, where something stirs in our heart, where we come alive again. Instead of sucking our thumbs, feeling miserable. My job is to encourage you and to motivate you to say, come on, come on. There's something on the heart of God. And listen, whatever is on the heart of God, he favors. The mantle of Elijah. Turn with me to Matthew 17, verse 11. Jesus said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. And in verse 12, he said, and Elijah has come already. I'll say it again. Elijah is coming and will restore all things. And then he said in the next verse, and Elijah has come already. So in other words, he said, Elijah has come already. John, so he came in the form of Elijah, but then he came in the form of John the Baptist. And now he's saying in verse 11, he is coming and he will restore all things. Acts 3.20 tells us the same thing, that the anointing on the end time church is to restore everything like Elijah did in Kings, like John did in his generation to a degree. So this Elijah anointing in verse 11 says it will come again and this anointing is to restore all things. How many things? All things. Well, is Jesus satisfied with just having a limp bride with, you know, barely get by? No, he's going to restore all things, all things, all things. Jesus, the Lord, in Matthew twenty-two forty-four, it says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all of your enemies your footstool. That means the church is a foot stomping generation that he is going to remain in heaven until all his enemies, all of them, and the last one to be defeated will be death. That's the church that gets raptured. All of his enemies will be made his footstool. All of them. All of them. All of them. Cancer. Every sickness. Poverty. Murder. Violence. Rape. Selfishness. Greed. Jesus is going to defeat not just sin and death, but he's going to defeat the devil in every expression of his evil kingdom. He's not coming back for a church that doesn't know how to reign. He's coming back for a victorious bride. And this mantle that was on Elijah is on his church right now. See, the bride of the first Adam lived in the most perfect conditions and yet chose to disobey. You think about it, the bride, Eve, who's a picture of the church. She lived in perfect conditions, yet she chose to obey, disobey. The bride of the second Adam will live in less than perfect conditions, in deep darkness, but will choose to obey. The bride will 
not just the encounter difficulty, but it will advance the kingdom and take ground where Eve chose to lose ground. It says, as you read the Genesis story, that Adam saw the garden become thorns and thistles, but the last day church will take ruined cities and restore them. You need to understand that the mantle of Elijah is to restore everything that's broken. And what is so amazing about God, that it begins with a perfect environment, everything for them, and they fail. And that's why the second Adam is greater than the first. We look at the garden and say, oh, if only we could have that again. Let me tell you, one greater than Adam is here, and his name is Jesus, and he lives inside you. And, and you, know what? you will not have perfect environment. You'll have trials and tribulations and all sorts of things, but they will only serve to make you more than an overcomer. And he will fill you with his might, and you will take a place that's filled with thorns and thistles, and you'll make it the, like the Garden of Eden, an oasis. This is what he says. He has anointed his people. You go, oh, I've heard it all before. That's called the spirit of unbelief. Yeah. That's what forerunners overcome. Yeah. They look at everything in the natural and they say, yet, yet, God is able. Yeah. Do you know the Jews put out a chair for Elijah every Passover, waiting for him to return? Let me tell you, the spirit of Elijah is already here. It's called the bride of Christ. He's upon us. The mantle of Elijah. Bob Jones, he's a, well, he was a famous prophet who's gone to be with the Lord. He had a vision in 1979 and he saw the church and he says, he saw a great army arise and the Lord said to Bob, I will release in them great power. I will arm them out of my own armory in heaven. There is no gift I will deny them. They will pull down the warehouse of God and they will have no fear of the enemy. They will glorify me beyond anything that has ever been seen. They will represent me in true holiness and compassion. That's called the mantle of Elijah, to restore all things. This Elijah mantle, we're coming towards the end, restores not just the spiritual, but it restores the physical. Do you know, it says in 1 Kings 17, you, you may have read the story, Elijah comes to a widow who's about to die. I wrote about that in my second book, The Three-Stick Woman, or The Two-Stick Woman. And uh, he comes to her, she's, she's got no resources left, and he calls her to give her what he has, she has, and he, and he commands a blessing over the remains, the oil and the flour. And the Bible says that throughout that famine, the oil and the flour did not fail to flow. That's called supernatural provision in the time of hardness. The same anointing on Isaac, who sowed in the land of famine, and in the same year reaped a hundredfold. The spirit and power of Elijah comes upon his people to access supernatural flow in the midst of hardship and famine. That's what it's here. This is the mantle. How can he restore all things if there's no supply? But you know, following that same story, it says that that woman's son grew sick and died. And she brings the son to Elijah and says, look what's happened to the promise. Dead, gone. 
So Elijah stretches over this boy. It's in 1 Kings 17, 17. You can read the story. And he stretches over him three times. And he prays over him. And the boy comes to life. I don't know if you see this, but it's telling me here that he's going to restore everything in the physical and everything in the spiritual. That boy laying over him three times is taking the church from children to sons to fathers. He's a prophetic picture of a mantle that comes upon the church to restore all our provision and restore us to a place of spiritual maturity. That's the Elijah mantle. But do you know what's fascinating? There is a man that walked in the same mantle of Elijah, and his name was Elisha. And he had a double-fold outpouring of that mantle. So he's a picture of the end-time church, and he performs the exact same miracle in his day. Now, it's not a widow... But it's a rich woman who is living in her house, as Elijah lived in the house of the widow. Elisha comes to that, to that woman, and the woman has a, a son, a miraculous son. And this son dies and is brought to Elisha. And the same thing happens, and he lays on this boy twice. It's a picture of a double anointing. And the boy comes to life, and he sneezes seven times. What, what's he saying? This mantle from Elijah comes upon the church as a double-fold anointing. That's the Elisha. Operating in Elijah's mantle, but in double-fold. And as he lays on the boy, which is a picture of the inheritance given to the church, the boy sneezes seven times. Every seven of the mountains fully restored back to the kingdom. Yeah. Are you hearing that? Yeah. That's the mantle that is upon Elisha and upon Elijah. It's a forerunning mantle. And, and as we begin to participate, as we say, God, what is your agenda? That's what I want. His mantle, that Elijah mantle that was thrown to the ground for anyone to pick up. It's here today. It's not some abstract thing. It's a matter of saying, Jesus, your heart, your plans, your purpose are my priority. The moment you say that, you pick up the mantle of Elijah. And you have the power to lay upon that which is dead. See, what is dead? I'll tell you what is dead. The vision for the church to reign on the mountains. That is dead in many hearts. But you lay upon it. And all of a sudden it begins to come to life. It begins to sneeze. What's he sneezing out? Control of all the mountains that the enemy has had a hold of. It's a war. He holds the business realm. All the money that, that is in the world is not in the church. It's in the kingdom of darkness. That's the reality. Walk through the city. The church has been banished from the city where once the church was the figurehead of this city. The highest buildings in this city were once the church. I know it's just a picture, but it's more than that. It's a spiritual reality. Now we've been banished to the suburbs. And so he lays upon the boy and the boy sneezes and all of a sudden he comes to life. That's the mantle of Elijah. 1 Kings 21.1 This forerunning spirit, it restores the physical and the spiritual and it wrestles for the inheritance that belongs to the church. 
This is a story, very quickly, of a battle over a vineyard. Naboth had a vineyard that the king wanted. Naboth said, I'm not selling this vineyard because it's generational. It's inheritance. It belongs to me. The king says, I want it. I'll pay anything for it. I want your vineyard. I want to turn it into a vegetable patch. He said, no, sorry, not for sale. Jezebel hears about that. She has him put to death, Naboth. The Elijah anointing, the mantle that comes from God, empowers his people to hold the inheritance that belongs to us and to say no to the enemy that wants to steal. I've said it to you before, but there have been inheritances in your family line that have been stolen. I know in my line, in my wife's line, there, there were businesses that, that were in her line that were owned by them that were lost because of fear. The enemy came in and stole what belonged to our line. In my own line, there is money and, and, and wealth that has been stolen that must come back. There is opportunities and influence and relationships that the enemy has stolen that he must give back. That's the mantle of Elijah that says, you know what, Jezebel? I know we get all worked up about Jezebel in the church, Jezebel's spirit, and be that as it may. But one of the great things about Jezebel that we need to be mindful of is that she wants to steal the inheritance that belongs to us. That's what I get worked up about. Give it back because he shall restore all things. His name shall be glorified. Does that interest to anyone? 2 Kings 2.9, Elisha says, I pray thee, let a double portion of your spirit, speaking to Elijah, be upon me. I want what's in your spirit, because if I get what's in your spirit, I'll also get the power that's on your life. And he prays and he says to Elijah, I want a double portion of all that's on you to be in me. And our prayer as forerunners should be, Lord, cause us to walk in that same mantle. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit in us. But when I say mantle, I'm talking about the understanding and the unction of the Spirit that would empower us to be reformers of a society. And this is what was upon Elijah. He walked in that. He defied unbelief and he saw breakthrough. And Elisha says, I want more. I want to glorify God in my life. I want my life to count for something. I don't want to be beaten up, hidden in a corner, you know, taking tablets because I can't survive. And if that's where you are, God bless you, but he wants to deliver you because you're a forerunner. You're not a victim. You're not broken. And the enemy may be having a field day today, but God's not finished. He rose up. Uh, Elijah from a place of obscurity and he can do it in you. He can take the most broken person and deliver them and make them a deliverer. John the Baptist came in the anointing of Elijah and his diet was honey and locusts. God gave him revelation for his season that enabled him to devour the devourer. He ate locusts and wild honey and he had no drink or liquor. Why? Because liquor is that which distorts reality. 
It makes us think things that aren't there. And maybe the church at times has become drunk with wrong perceptions. And so John wanted to have a mind that was sharp and clear. Lord, what is it that you see when you see me, when you see this city? I want to have your reality. So it wasn't about God saying, don't drink wine. It was, the, it was a deeper reality that God wanted his mind sharp to the things of the Spirit. And because of that, because he walked in that anointing, Elisha saw that and said, I want that and double. I want to have a sharp mind. I want to live in revelation. I want to see what you see when you see the city. I want to function in the mantle of Elijah, a restorer of the city, one that breaks unbelief. Could that be you today? Could that be our church today? Absolutely. Elijah and John were incredible men. There were women with the same anointing who were able to stand against a whole crowd and be strong. Who were able to go against the tide. When others were packing up and going home, they kept going ahead. It takes courage to be a forerunner. It takes strength. And today God wants to give you that courage, that determination, that fire in your bones that would say, Lord, no matter what, I will stay the course because what you want is the most important thing in my world. So anoint me today afresh with the mantle of Elijah, that same mantle that he threw to the earth that you said would be available in the last days. You said Elijah is coming. That's me. I'm here now. Anoint me afresh today. Anoint this church to see, Lord, that you are with us. You have called us to break through. We shall not stop believing. So why don't you raise your hands today? I'm asking today, Lord, for every hungry heart that you would anoint afresh with the mantle of Elijah. That same anointing that you placed upon John who when he came, turned upside down a whole region. And we choose to believe that when you place your words in our mouth, all things are possible. When you place your thoughts and desires in our heart, it is as good as done. So Father, today I'm asking that you would stir your people, place a fresh fire in their hearts, and cause them to see, Lord, that you do have a plan and purpose. Anoint them afresh as forerunners to go beyond, to perceive what you're doing, to position themselves to where you are heading, Lord. Not where you've been, but where you're going. So I ask, Lord, give them eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. And anoint them, Father, today with a double portion of all that rested on Elijah, that same anointing, Lord, that stopped the heavens from raining, that same anointing that brought down fire upon the sacrifice, that same anointing that destroyed the false prophets, that same anointing that caused him to outrun the chariots of Ahab, that same anointing that caused to be an overflow of oil and flour, that same anointing that rose 
up the young boy that was dead, that same anointing that was on Elijah, let it be upon us today. We ask in Jesus' name. We cry out, Lord. We, Lord, say, use us, flow through us. We thank you, Lord, that you are in us and you are looking today for hearts that are available. We say, Lord, send us. Jeremiah prayed that prayer. Here I am, Lord, send me, flow through me. Cause me to believe for things I've never believed for before. Cause me to, Lord, have a mind that is filled with the thoughts of heaven. I have the mind of Christ. So I pray, Lord, enlarge it to hold a whole city within that mind. Give me strategies and revelations. I pray even over those that, Lord, maybe even thinking that it's their time to retire. I say, you shall not retire, but you shall refire. God has given you fresh vision and purpose, not to wind down, but to wind up. God is not finished with you yet. And you say, my days are over. There's time to relax and, and to rest and enjoy. He's saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm about to breathe afresh on you and cause the latter years to be greater than the former. I'll restore everything that the enemy has stolen. Even in your teenage years, as you begin to dream about doing something great in your life, and it was stolen from you by adverse winds. God said, I will breathe upon you again today and I will cause you to soar like wings on an eagle. I cause you to rise up above all the things that have weighed you down and you will see what I will do and be astounded for I will do a quick work in you. Shall you not even perceive that I've even spoken to you today and cause you to hear the alarm that is coming from heaven? I am here and I shall do a great work to every heart that would say yes. So I pray today, Lord God, that this Word would come alive in people's hearts today, that even as they go home and throughout the rest of the week, they would be conscious that that mantle, that mantle is alive and well today. We just need to pick it up by faith and walk in and say, Lord, thank you for the double portion of the spirit and power of Elijah that rests upon your church, your people, to restore everything that's been stolen in individual hearts, in families, in streets and suburbs, in this city. We thank you for that, Lord. So I ask, Lord, that you would just fill people with great faith today. Those listening online, wherever they may be in the world, whatever circumstance they are facing, we say, come alive with the spirit of a forerunner. Lead your generation, lead your city. Wherever you may hear the sound of my voice, let the spirit and the anointing and the power of Elijah be upon you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Let your revival power sweep over the nations, Lord God. And may Jesus, you come back for a bride that is equal in proportion to the fullness of the measure of the Son of God, walking in great power and authority. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. So just before we finish, lift your hands afresh. Father, fill them now. My prayer is that you would fill your people with great faith, 
that they may appropriate all that's been spoken today and live great and powerful lives in Jesus' name.